Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will learn about the Fall High Holy Days and the Feast of Tabernacles. And we will also see how these holy convocations are relevant to the church today. And it speaks to the restoration of Israel and the ushering in of the kingdom of God. Now, it is impossible to understand God's festivals, His feasts, and His High Holy Days without also knowing God's Hebrew calendar and His biblical prophecies. And we have to have God's heart for understanding His kingdom purposes for the nation of Israel. Yeshua said in Matthew 24, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Now we know that the fig tree is a symbol for the nation of Israel. So many Christians have asked me, so why should I celebrate the feasts in the Old Testament? Aren't we under the New Covenant? Well, the answer is yes. However, since most of Israel has not yet received her Messiah, the Jewish people are still under the law of Moses and the veil over their Messiah. And since the Gentiles are grafted into the natural branches who are believing Israel, what the Lord does with the Jewish people directly influences what happens with the nations. Now, Yeshua's ministry in Israel lasted for three and a half years. And God's dealing with Israel concludes with another three and a half years at the end of the age, for a total of seven years. And this period at the end of the age is called the Great Tribulation and the time of Jacob's trouble. The church, therefore, will be actively engaged in God's prophetic plans for the restoration of Israel. And she is commissioned to both establish and ultimately administer God's earthly kingdom. The center of this kingdom is the nation of Israel and God's holy city, Jerusalem. Now the Lord has divided our days and years into intervals of seven. Seven days are called a week, and seven years are also called a week. The seventh day is the Sabbath, the Shabbat, and the seventh year is a sabbatical year called a Shemitah. So the number seven represents divine completion. We also see there are seven annual festivals and high holy days that are ordained in Scripture. And the Lord declared that these holy convocations, called Moadim, were to be His feasts and ordained times of prophetic fulfillment. The fall festivals that coincide with the Hebrew month of Tishrei, September and October generally, are comprised of two high holy days. The Jewish New Year, called Rosh Hashanah, or the Head of the Year, but is biblically called Yom Teruah, which is the day of blowing. This is when the shofar, the ram's horn, is sounded 100 times. And then the day of atonement that follows, Yom Kippur, is when the shofar is blown one last time. Now, 30 days leading up to the Jewish New Year is the observance of the month of Elul. And traditionally, this is a time of introspection and repentance to evaluate one's deeds and spiritual progress over the past year but also to prepare for the upcoming days of awe, the days of repentance. These are the days between Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur. So during these 30 days, the shofar is blown once during the morning prayer services, except Saturdays and the morning before the Jewish New Year. The third fall festival is called the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, 
These three convocations prophetically point to Christ's second advent. So let's begin to break down these events in more detail, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets, then the Day of Atonement, and concluding with the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Trumpets, or Day of Blowing Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, aligns with the seventh seal in the book of Revelation, where it says in chapter 11, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now the rabbis teach that Rosh Hashanah is known as the holiday when the new moon is covered and not seen. In a spiritual context, this implies that the source of the light is withdrawn and concealed, and they consider the light of the moon to be that which animates the worlds and its created beings. This light is the prince of this world, who we know as Satan. But after the shofars are blown, the rabbis further go on to say that a new superior light is elicited. And who could this light possibly be? Well, it's none other than the light of the world, who is the Son of God. This day, therefore, prophetically represents the coronation revealing of our King, Yeshua. Now, let's talk about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. It is a solemn day where we afflict our souls. But it is also a joyful day because we know that God will forgive our sins. It commemorates the day when God forgave the Jewish people for their sin of the golden calf. But it also represents the day when Yeshua physically returns to the earth. We read in Zechariah chapter 14, In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Yom Kippur is the day when the Lord makes atonement for his land and his people, Israel. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. And Paul declared in Romans chapter 11, And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the Deliverer, who is Christ, will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. On this day, and only on this day, the high priest of Israel would enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of an unblemished lamb and would make atonement for the whole nation. The priest would spend the prior week in seclusion and the night before the great day would stay up all night in prayer and study of Torah. It's interesting to see how Yeshua also stayed awake in prayer throughout the night before he was crucified. It's also customary for some Jewish men to receive symbolic lashes as a sign of humility and repentance. We, of course, know that Yeshua, who is the most humble man, was whipped by the Roman soldiers and received the lashes that we deserve. The Jewish people also partake of a final meal before the holy day. Yeshua also partook of a final meal, a Passover, with his disciples before he was led away to die on the cross. The rabbis teach that Yom Kippur erases all the sins we have committed against God. But we know and believe that Yeshua, the Lamb of God, is the only one who can take away our sins forever. In the writings of the rabbinic sages, specifically Maimonides, Yom Kippur is distinctively marked by these four main components. The first one is 
the sacrifice of an unblemished lamb by the high priest of Israel. The second one is our repentance by confessing our sinful deeds and turning away from our wicked ways. The third one is the essence of this day itself is marked by God's affirmation of his infinite love towards us. And lastly, our return to the Lord in our desire to receive God's infinite love and cleansing from sin. So let's look at scripture to see how Yeshua fulfilled these four things in our lives. The first one was his sacrifice. We read in John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The second one then is our repentance. And we read in Matthew chapter 4, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The third is God's affirming love. We read in Jeremiah 31 where he says, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And we also read in John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And lastly, our return. We read in Isaiah chapter 44, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Notice that God provides his part, and we are required to respond with ours. He offered his only begotten son as a spotless sacrifice for our sin, but we must repent of our sin and turn from our wicked ways. He affirmed his infinite love and drew us towards himself by sending his Holy Spirit, but we must receive his love and cleansing from our sin. The Day of Atonement is a full package deal, in other words, if we stop at the first level then our focus will continually be on our action of repentance. And many people get stuck here. Their lifestyle involves external things like their behavior. But they're always trying to do what is right, continuously repenting and feeling guilty when they miss the mark. But it's when we receive the full package that God has for us, and that includes the gift of the Holy Spirit and the truth of His love, that we are fully cleansed, sanctified, and born again of the Spirit of God. Transformation then occurs from within, and our garments are exchanged for those of the Spirit, which is the fruit of the Spirit. But this requires a desire and a wanting to receive Him, and not just satiation of His moral expectations. This creates this fine line between religion and relationship, because it is the relationship that brings the cleansing that leads to transformation. And so in every relationship, it is good to have mileposts, markers that keep us on track. And for this reason, God established an annual cycle that continually reminds us to confess and repent of our sins. It says in 1 John chapter 1, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in James chapter 5, it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. These verses continually remind us to return to God when we have drifted away so that we might receive a fresh anointing and cleansing of the Holy Spirit. It is written in Ephesians chapter 4, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, Therefore we do not lose heart, 
Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, we never lose our salvation because of our sin, but sometimes our relationship with the Lord can grow cold or mundane. And Yom Kippur is a perfect time of renewal, and it fits God's created purpose in our lives. Now, lastly, let's talk about the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, one of my favorite holidays. Sukkot represents the marriage celebration of the Lamb when all the nations will come up to Jerusalem to worship the King. We read in Isaiah chapter 25, In this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of the marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all the people, and the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This feast, therefore, begins the Messianic Age and the Millennial Kingdom. Now, three times a year, all the men of Israel were required to come up to the temple in Jerusalem and assemble before the Lord, and it's called Aliyat Haregel. The Hebrew word for assembly is kahal, and in Greek it is ekklesia, and it's the same word translated into English as church. These assemblies took place on the Passover, which is Pesach, Pentecost, which is Shavuot, and the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. It is interesting to see how the Lord assembled his people to witness the first two significant events, and these were the crucifixion of Christ on the Passover and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And I know and believe yet again the Lord will gather his people from the ends of the earth to witness and join the marriage supper of the Lamb on the festival of Sukkot. You see, God has a calendar and a prophetic timeline. And he has determined that Israel is his prophetic time clock. And so it is our responsibility to align with his time frame and his purposes, and not the other way around. So while these festivals were given specifically to the nation of Israel as part of the Mosaic Covenant, we learn from Scripture that much of the early church, which included the Gentile believers, actually celebrated these feasts. And the Lord also spoke prophetically of a time when all the nations would come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It says in Isaiah chapter 56, For my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so therefore it should be clear that the feasts were not solely for the Jewish people, but for all of God's creation. God ordained the Feast of the Passover during the exodus from Egypt before the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. The Passover, along with these three other holy convocations, Pentecost, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, is specifically referenced in Scripture as eternal. So therefore, God's convocations are neither established nor can they be annulled by the Old Covenant because they existed before the law was given to Israel. In other words, they're transcendent. They're beyond or outside of time and creation. Just as God's moral law is eternally one with him, so is his law of atonement. For we read in Revelation chapter 13, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so we should understand that Yeshua was crucified before Adam was created, before Abraham was born, and before the nation of Israel came into existence. 
All the festivals and high holy days, including the Sabbath, were given to the nation of Israel as a gift as part of the Mosaic Covenant. Israel was simply the vessel through which God would bring his redemptive purposes and salvation to the whole world. And that's why Yeshua said in John chapter 4, for salvation is of the Jews. Now, Paul asked the Gentiles then this question in Romans chapter 3, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? And so he answers then, he says, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And what is an oracle? Well, simply, it is a person of priestly authority that God uses to declare his prophecies concerning the future. And Israel's prophecies that are revealed in Scripture but are hidden in the feasts concern the first and second advents of Christ and his future kingdom. And we, the church, are that kingdom. We are the ecclesia. We are the great assembly that God has called forth of every tongue and tribe and nation and people on the face of the earth. The Jewish people are still to keep God's commandments, including his written word and his ordinances. These include his feasts and his high holy days. And so, therefore, it remains Israel's calling to teach the nations how to walk in God's laws. It says in Isaiah chapter 2, Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And this verse essentially provides God's instruction to the Gentiles. And the Lord warned the church to be watching with great expectation for his imminent return. And God never intended for the church to become separated from Israel. It was always his intention that the Gentiles would be grafted into true Israel the natural descendants of Abraham, who by faith have also received their Messiah. And so the Gentiles in Israel are to be joined into one cultivated olive tree and one new man in Christ. It says in Revelation chapter 5, For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So the Jewish people, by and large, are still living in blindness to their Messiah. And the culmination of God's wrath against Israel's sin occurs during the Great Tribulation. The Lord said in Zechariah chapter 14, For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And the church is called to provoke Israel to jealousy. And more importantly, I believe, she has been chosen to intercede for the nation of Israel. And so we read in the Bible how one day all the nations will come against the remnant of Israel on the Day of Atonement with evil inclination to destroy them. And the church will cry out from heaven and intercede for the Jewish people. And the Lord declared in Joel chapter 2, Gather the people, and he's speaking about Israel. Sanctify the congregation. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare your people, Israel, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach, that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. At that time, Yeshua will return with the armies of heaven, which are his angels and his church, 
to destroy the nations that have come against his people, Israel. As it says in Zechariah chapter 14, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. It is clear from Scripture that the church has been called to provoke Israel to jealousy, to intercede for her on behalf of the Lord, and ultimately to restore and rebuild the nation of Israel itself. We read in Isaiah chapter 49, Behold, I will lift up my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. And in chapter 16, Isaiah, the Lord goes on to say, The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their king shall minister to you. For in my wrath, I struck them. But in my favor, I have had mercy on you. So the answer to our very first question, why should I as a Christian celebrate the festivals of the Lord? Because it is the church and predominantly the Gentile Christians who will rebuild God's kingdom and restore his heritage, Israel. And for this work, the church has been promised the kingdoms of the earth as an inheritance. And the Lord declared in Isaiah 45, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. So my prayer is that we all come to understand everything that God has purposed for our lives and that we walk in humility and obedience to fulfill his calling. And this purpose centrally includes the salvation of the Jewish people and the restoration of Israel. And the timing for this restoration is prophetically connected with God's Hebrew calendar and his holy convocations. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.